Welcome to the Three Thirds Man, One Third Scouts podcast. It is episode number 29, and I'm joined by my fellow podcasters, Mr. Ross Smith and Mr. Simon Mann. How are we both? Hello. Yeah, good. How's, uh, how are you? Ill. <laughs> known, as, known as a super spreader. Yeah. yeah. Thank God it can't be passed via podcast. <laughs> Transmit over the airwaves. Otherwise, up, up to, what, 10, 11 people could get this. I mean, yeah. now that you've said that, there will be a conspiracy started that... <laughs> what, that we've, start, that we've started it? It's just oh. it's come it's come around to batters on the backside a year in. Now the World Health Organization of officially <laughs> being leaked from um, a lab in China. Yeah, look, look, look somewhere else, aren't they? <laughs> been checking to see my travel records whether I've been to a bat market in Wuhan. Tell you tell you what it'd be, Ross. It'll be that meeting that we went to at the the back end of North Manchester FM. Probably that had super spread an event written all over it. I mean. It didn't have, yeah. It didn't, didn't have, have clean. Hygiene. Didn't <laughs> have hygiene all over it. <laughs> it definitely didn't. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I think I think the the what it did have written all over it was health and safety nightmare. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> nothing looks safe or <laughs> stable or yeah. So uh, so you've had you've had the Rona, Cheeser. Yeah, Mister Mister Positive over here. So, yeah. so yes, yeah, so, so last last Sunday, um, we just uh, both me and Ashley started to feel unwell, so we went for a, a test on the on the Monday, um, and it was a bit it was a bit of a, it was a bit strange because we both felt we both felt quite ill on the Sunday. I'd probably say that I felt the worst I'd felt on the Monday. Ashley started to get better on the Monday, and then when you rolled round to the Tuesday, Ashley felt much worse than I did, and I'd started to get. I'd started to get a bit better, so it was almost it was almost it was it's almost like one of us felt really bad at like every other day. It's just a bit. Um, it was only it's a bit it's a bit strange, and of course it's meant that we've not been able to go out. So I've, the furthest I've been is the bottom of the drive to put the bins out. So when my mum came around to drop some shopping off the other day, she was I like, mean, to put you the bin out for you. Pretty, pretty Selby after you now. <laughs> well, I've, 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 stayed, I've stayed within the grid. I, I didn't, I didn't go on. To, I didn't go onto the public footpath. I stayed on my own land. I was all right. Uh, well, just say the ten thousand pound and ten years in prison for you. I mean, I was nearly. I mean, I won't mind. I, I, I wish I'd have gone to a rave instead of it. I could thought at least I know where I would have got it from. Yeah. So, so, you, so you, would you would you recommend it to people or not? Not really, no. No, not when, no. Not when I realised that the the, the the like the the cough and um, just like the nasal congestion and the lack of smell and apparently it will can follow you around for weeks and weeks after it's after you've uh, you can go back outside. So I was like, oh, that's brilliant. So I'm still going to feel pretty iffy, even though I can go outside. And the worst bit is, you start any cough in public, and everybody just looks at you like you're a you're a super spreader. So I'm not quite sure. You know what confuses me now when I cough in public and you're wearing a face mask? Obviously, it's still polite to put your hand over your mouth. Do you have to? If you've got a face mask on, just cough into your mask. Yeah, I reckon your mask catches it all, yeah. But it's just instinct, isn't it? Yeah. But I just think, did I need to do that? Well, they actually just like sneezing to cough into your elbow and stuff, don't they? Yeah. That's something done, isn't it? 
Well, on um, I think it was Monday this week, I nipped from work to a shop to get a sandwich, but it was so cold, I just kept the, kept the mask on for the walk. <laughs> you, have, you have to wear it when you're walking around work, and I thought, I'll have to wear it in the shop, and actually, I was, I was toasty warm under the mask. Yeah, I've done that yeah. a couple of times. Yeah, when we've been on some family walks, like I've told the kids to sit there, my son, just just to warm them up so they're not melting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not so, like the last lockdown. I mean, it, obviously the, the weather is uh, was beautiful and you could sit in the back garden. I mean, I, I was almost thinking, I'm always, I was almost Googling fire pits. I was like, I've got to get out. I've got to get outside. <laughs> Minus three. It's not even like you can just go in the garden for a bit. Yeah. Well, how, how much DIY have you achieved in the last 10 days? Uh, well, not a lot because I've not because Desmond's been home. So because Desmond's yeah. been home, it's been it's been a bit of a night. Well, and a, and tonight we've realised that the, the what I enjoy drink. what I enjoy cheese it is the fact that you're not blaming you've been like coronavirus <laughs> that you that wouldn't have stopped you doing DIY. It's the fact you've had a small child around that stopped you. Well, there's a couple of days I was like, oh, I'm not really sure I can do this. But yeah, there is no way we'd have been able to do any 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 fiddly bits, and especially with it. If I need, because I, I need to glue this um, border down for the um, laminate floor, which I still haven't done yet. And there's no way I can get any sort of sticky glue or being able to keep something in one place for more than five minutes because she'll just I'd pick it up and give it to me. So I was like, no, I think I'll, uh, I think I'll give it a, a few weeks. I, and to be fair, I did think I thought by the end of Feb, I thought, well, we might end up being back in work. But I mean, looking at press conferences and stuff like that, it doesn't look like it's going to be the case. So. I think I've got March to. I think give myself the rest of Feb to recover, um, and then we'll see. We'll see what happens in March. But I think I'll, I think I'm going to be off for a while. So no need to rush. Oh well. Now, she, how, what, what, what have you been up to, Simon? Tried a new chocolate spread. No. Yes. Yeah. Been able to find one in this. Well, that's the thing. I thought I'd in, them in, all. in a global pandemic and Brexit Britain, you've been able to find something new. A blender found it in um, in Aldi. No, it's called it's called Proteinella. Proteinella. Oh, wow! wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So does that mean you're hench now? <laughs> I'm built, mate. Yeah, absolutely stacked. Yeah. So what? What you do? What you do? Have the- chocolate spread on toast and then cut it. You punch back. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm scared I'd not the punch bag through to next door. <laughs> well, there is. <laughs> I'm trying to contain myself. So um, she's, got the, she's got the white chocolate one and the, and the normal chocolate one. Um, very nice, I would say. Really good. Very smooth to taste. And though sometimes with the, the cheaper chocolate spreads, you get a slight metallic taste to them. But that's not, not here in the, uh, in the protein Ella. And uh, and no palm oil, which for followers of chocolate spread, no, that is that, palm oil, big no, no. You you know, it's really bad for you. Oh, I mean, good for the environment as well. Good I mean, for the muscle, the environment. Mean, we've we've never really talked about the protein element on this on this show, surprisingly. Um, oh. But the the like the Mars and Snickers protein bars that you can buy, which are about five times dearer than the normal Mars. That's the only way I could ever probably taste something that I thought. Just because it's got protein in it, is there a, is there a, is there a taste difference? What is the difference between like I know obviously it's got more protein in it, but but yeah, no, so you, you can't really taste the difference in the uh, in this chocolate spread. So um, what 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 other than it was new? Was that the only reason you bought it, or well, were you actively looking for more protein in your diet? 
No, no. Well, Belinda bought it. I think she thought, oh, Simon likes a new chocolate spread whenever. <laughs> I think she thought, oh, we've not seen that one before. <laughs> Novelty factor. Yeah, so it's not a, an active, uh, more protein approach. Oh, oh, so right. it's not come, it's not, come, not come with a bucket of raw eggs to, to, to wash it down. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we do, we, we, I mean, we get through eggs, I'll be honest, mate. I, <laughs> I reckon very rarely a day goes by that I don't I don't eat an egg. Are you joking? We eat eggs all the time. Yeah, I reckon. I could. I mean, just default breakfast would be either scrambled <laughs> eggs or a poached egg on toast. Every day. But, but uh, before I've I've never eaten so many eggs until I started living with Glinda. Glinda just we just get through them. Yeah. So when you so weekly shop, I'm guessing like everyone else. Yeah. How many, how many eggs are you buying on a weekly shop? Oh, well, at least one of the the, the big the big carton the, ones. Like the 24. The 24. The 24, yeah, it'd be a 24, I reckon, yeah. Oof. Wow, that is a lot of eggs. But a lot of that would be baking, though, as well, won't it? Like, Belinda will always have eggs. Yeah, the, yeah, the that's the thing, yeah. She always likes to have them in for that reason. And also, there was a time when she was, she was on Weight Watch, and I think eggs were, like, zero points or something. And, um... So therefore, you're just like free to eat as many eggs as you want. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh, omelette, well. scrambled eggs, poached. Yeah. What what order would you? Uh, what how how do you rate your eggs, Ross? What what's your preferred order? If you. Oh, I thought. Oh, if I had to have an eat an egg now. Yeah. What what would I go for? Yeah. I, uh, well, yeah. Well, I would go. I would probably go. Oh. Am I eating an egg on its own or with something? Well, it's, it's up to you. Mm. Probably. Oh, you're going to put, put it on toast. You're going to put. You're going to have it with yeah. toast or something. What would you have with but, toast? But the egg has to be the main part of the meal. You can't just say to me you're having a fry up. <laughs> right. So what about? So if I had poached eggs with ham on toast, would the poached yeah. egg? Be, yeah. Yeah. So that's your, is that your number one choice? Probably. But if this, but if somebody said to you, would you rather have poached egg, scrambled egg, or runny egg on toast with ham? What would you would you pick poached ham all the time? Or poached with poached ham, egg all the time? Have poached with ham. But then if I'm having beans, I wouldn't have a poached egg. I'd have scrambled. No, but you'd have you'd have Weetabix, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And then if I was having a fry up, I'd have a fried egg. I don't know actually. You know what? I've not had. I've not had a boiled egg for years. I'm not a boiled egg for the day. Boiled egg and, and soldiers, not had that for years. And I mean, oh. yeah, probably 10 years. <laughs> 10 years since you had a boiled egg? <laughs> yeah. Me, me, I'll I tell you that, me and Claire, ever since we've worked together, I've never had boiled egg and toast. What about a scotch egg? I mean, that's effectively a boiled egg. No, I don't like scotch eggs. I don't mind. I, I don't, don't really like, like, I don't like big eggs. scotch eggs. Small Scotch eggs, I can I can cope with, but I can't. I'm not a big, I'm not a big like whole egg, that type of massive Scotch egg. Like, I'd, have been, I'd, I'd have been knackered for a full meal six months ago. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> used to get to me when we used to go. Um, you know, Morrison's they did the past like the salad self serve thing. Yeah. yeah. So when me and Claire, we have not done it for ages, but when me and Claire would go, I you'd obviously try and cram in as much as possible, wouldn't you? And so you'd shut the lid and you were crushing the pasta in between the seals. That's how much you were, you were putting in. Yeah. And what would you just get me? Claire would put, like, a boiled egg in. 
And I always used to think that's such a waste of space. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of other things that you could try, but you'll put a pot <coughs> like I could make a you could chuck an egg in the in a pan at home and it'd be warm. What? As well. There's something about cold eggs that I don't like either. I'm not a big fan. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of cold. I'm not a big fan of cold eggs. Ashley has quite Ashley has egg probably more than like if we're doing like if we're having like slightly different dinners and stuff, if it's like leftovers from the night before or something like that, Ashley might just have like egg on toast or something like that. Or um or she'll or sometimes if she and she's having salad at work, she'll she'll take some she'll do some boiled eggs in the morning and take some boiled eggs with her. I'm not really a, a huge egg fan, but yeah, I don't yeah. it, but it's not it's not my go to. I I'd prefer scrambled eggs. I think if I was on holiday and I was at buffet, I'd be like, I'd just have yeah, scrambled eggs. I, I scrambles my favourite way. But you can over-scramble an egg. And it's oh, like, yeah, you can get it wrong. It's like rock yeah. hard, bullets. It's like we had, a, we had a reward breakfast at school today, so it was a full English. Not today. I went down mine two days ago. And uh, they said, what do you want, fried egg or scrambled egg? So I said, well, I went scrambled that day, actually. Because I always think fried eggs have been out too long. They're not that great, but hot scrambled egg. Mm. But she had to, like, effectively cut a slice of scrambled egg out from it. And I thought, that's a quiche. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the <laughs> trick with eggs is you've always got to remember they're still cooking once you've taken them off the heat. That is true. Low yeah. and slow. Apparently, you're not supposed to season your eggs till quite late. Did you know that? No, 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 no salt added to your eggs right at the start of the process because all it does is. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, Blinda puts on the old scrambled eggs now, and I think this is a Ross Smith um, tip chili flakes. Yes. I actually got that from from listening to this podcast. Yeah, chili, it is. Yeah, that's that's enough. It really adds to it. I tell you what's a nice little breakfast, and you can make it. Have you ever, if you roll out some bacon rashers flat, and then you put them in like a muffin tin, and then chop up like a cherry tomato, nice and small, maybe a bit of spinach, whisk some eggs up, put it all in there, and then top it with some chilli, bang it in the oven for ten minutes, boom! You got a nice little bacon egg cup thing that you can have on toast. Oh, that's delightful too. There you go. Oh. Try try that for your breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think we I didn't think we spend this much time talking about eggs. No. Really. <laughs> I mean, are you having a cooked breakfast? I, I honestly, I would have put you down for a cereal boy. When? Maybe oh. a to- you. I, oh, I, I would have thought you were a toast boy or a cereal boy. Oh, I, I don't have breakfast. You don't eat, yeah. No. I, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't picture you spending much time on breakfast. No, breakfast... Well, i tell you why I did Well, one, because when I was at uni, I couldn't afford it. So I, I skipped... That was one meal to skip to save some money. So I've ever since then, I've not really had it. But then when I started working at school, at break time, yeah. it used to be toast. A lot so of thought, toast flying around, didn't they? I could always wait till 10 o'clock to have my breakfast. And now it's not... So I got used to just doing that. And now we don't have toast at break, break time. It's uh, it's a it's some fruit, and now because I'm, I'm not in a class, I can't go and nick the fruit. So I tend to not have anything till dinner time. Oh, no, that... I couldn't I couldn't cope till dinner time. I I really I think for about fifteen years straight, I religiously had 
uh, cereal every single morning. As soon as I woke up, that's the first thing I went to go and do. I'd, go, I'd, go, I'd, I'd come downstairs and I'd got to, I'd have to have some cereal. And then if I was hungover, I'd never, I wouldn't eat anything, which kind of put a kibosh on most things, being hungover. Um, but then I still, still have cereal every, 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 pretty much every morning. There's not many mornings go by where what I don't. About, what about when you're on holiday? So you've got a day off? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't do, I don't do cereal if I'm on holiday. That's the only time I really don't do it. That's normally where you get like cooked buffet breakfast yeah. or like croissants or stuff like that. That's probably the only time I'll probably have anything like that. I don't really. I normally just stick to good old cereal. I tell you what, I had when I was in Amsterdam. That was a delight for breakfast. We used to walk past a bakery in the morning, and they did croissants with salami and cheese inside. Now that was that was tasty for a breakfast. The Continentals know what they're doing, don't they? Yeah. I mean, you add melted cheese to most things, it makes it better, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. I mean, particularly, did you think that meal was called cheese with salami and croissant? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I don't for the... I get it. One for the regular listeners, that'll it. <laughs> I mean, so regular. That. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, my week, I've started becoming Elton John. And I mean, I'm playing, I mean, I've started to let's play the piano. <laughs> <laughs> What a shock for David Furnish that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I decided, maybe only even two days ago, that uh, I, I quite fancy learning to do something on a piano. What, what, what was it? Uh, was there a moment that you... What triggered this decision? Uh, I th- so some people at work had started, like, doing new things. So I was starting to think, oh, I want something to do. And then I tell you what, I was going to buy some board games that you can play on your own. And you think that's a new thing, did you, buying a board game? No, no, no. I'd say that's a classic Ross. <laughs> no, not buying a board game, but buying boxes <laughs> purely to play on my own would have been the new thing, which I thought was a step, that was maybe a step too far, just playing on my own. So then I thought, well, no, actually... I might do something else, though. It'll be on my own, but it might actually be, well, not useful, but... Well, you never know. Might, might, inspire the, might inspire the kids to actually do something like that. So, I, so I, yeah, so then realised uh, my brother-in-law, who's in New Zealand, had a keyboard that he wasn't using. So I asked to borrow that. Got that brought around the next day. Ordered some uh, learn-to-play-piano books off Amazon. Turned up today, and then, boom, had about 45 minutes of practice. And I've, well, I've got... I, um, at one point, I downloaded an app that had, a, like, a keyboard app, and I thought, oh, I'll just learn the piano on my phone. But, uh, <laughs> I don't think I opened it once. <laughs> i tell you what. Well, I'll send you a bit, Claire video now, playing this tune that I've learned to play tonight. Uh, 
And it's, I've never been happier to play it with no mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't describe the feeling I got. <laughs> so, so what level of tune do you... I mean, do you start on Twinkle Twinkle Little Star? What, what, what sort of level of tune are you on? No, although I did look like... When I didn't have... Before I had these books, the keyboard came with a songbook and the keyboard had a built-in, like, learn-to-play function. So I did learn to play Twinkle Twinkle. So I can, I can play that. And then... But no, no, this is a... This is a two-handed song... Oh wow! I can't, oh, I can't remember what it's called. This uh, is it. I can't remember what it's called, but it's it's it's, it's not too bad. I'm quite pleased with myself. I mean, we, we were to we, read the music. We were after a theme song, weren't we? So yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at, am I because it's a keyboard? I can bring it down, point the microphone at the speakers, start up each week. Oh. I can I can give a little rendition of what I've been learning. That'd be great song of the week. Yeah. Be a nice feature, won't it? Uh, so, what have um, have the kids taken any interest so far? Yeah, so T- Teddy's very definitely said that he wants to learn to play piano with me. So that's a That'd positive. Nice. But yeah. then, uh, when I had it out last night, they were very keen. And but then, when I actually started to get them to do something constructive instead of just bashing as many keys as they could, they weren't quite so happy about that. So we'll we'll see how that bit goes. Whether they actually want to learn to play it or smack around, smack it around a bit. So is it? Um, I mean, are your headphones on when you're practicing, or are you just playing to the room? Well, I'm just playing to the room at the minute because uh, it's one of the you know the big headphone sockets, oh, headphone jacks. And stuff. Yeah, so I haven't got any headphones that size. So it's it's having to be to the room at the minute. So playing Twinkle Twinkle upstairs on my bed sat on my bed whilst the kids were asleep next door it's probably not the best (laughs) but you know if you want to make it big you've got to put the hours in haven't you yeah i thought you'd have been a guitar man no well i so it was it it came down to between guitar and piano and what i thought was that if you get guitar and you start playing the guitar what do people then most people expect you to do Sing, don't they? All oh, right. I think uh, you're going to so, so, say like play Wonderwall or something. Yeah, that's, yeah, but then you play Wonderwall, you got to sing Wonderwall. Yeah, so I thought, no, I'm not. so that's why I thought, no, I, I can't see myself sat playing a guitar and singing a song at the same time. So that's why I thought piano. Plus, I don't mind a bit of classical music too. So you could be one of them guys. You could be one of the people that plays in the train station and gets videoed and goes viral. Yeah. Well, you know what? I go- when I Google best uh, best instrument to learn, and it came up with it, it's like going through like uh, went through like recorder, guitar, and then it came up with like trumpet or trombone or something. I was going through the pros and cons. What are the pros? It said on this website for if you learn to play piano, you can impress people at train stations on the free pianos. <laughs> Wearing your uh, wearing your three thirds man t-shirt. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. And you you work in a place where there are a lot of uh, keyboards, as I remember. There are hundreds of keyboards. Yeah. So presumably, any any quiet hour you've got at work, I can just go up. Yeah. Just go and have a have a have a little play. So yeah. So that's 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 it. So I'm hoping. Well, by next week. I'll send you a video tonight. You'll be impressed. Then I'll, sh- I'll I'll play next week's like my week's progress next week live. Yeah, I, I cannot wait. Well, I'll send you because uh, you can send me. You can do like messages and stuff. You can send me messages. So I'll send you the link. To send me a message, and you can record a theme tune for us, and we'll stick it on at the beginning of the week. 
No, what, what I'm trying to learn is how to... Not, I'm not creative yet. I'm in the process of getting the fundamentals down. So it might be, it might be a few weeks before the old creative bish-bash-boshing gets going, but we'll see. So you've got to learn the rules before you work out how to break them. Exactly, exactly. And you've got to know you're breaking them to produce your best stuff. You can't just accidentally break a rule because that's not... Yeah. That's not At the moment, as... you're playing all the right notes but not necessarily in the right order, aren't you? Well, I, I think I am. I mean, you you watch when I send you this video, you'll take that statement back, Simon. <laughs> I don't doubt. I've got faith <laughs> in you, mate. So uh, yeah, I mean, you might actually uh, get that inspired by my piano playing. You might have it on in the background whilst you're doing your your punch bag, a bit like Rocky. Oh, so is it that sort of tempo <laughs> you're at already? Well, <laughs> yeah. By next week, it will be. If you want, the, if you want. If you want Hickory Dickory Dock played at 20 miles an hour, I'm your man. Well, when the boxing, uh, I mean, when it takes off and they ask me to go pro, I, I don't know, has anyone ever had live piano music as a walk-on? Well, a bit like AJ had Storms there when he was a bit... Exactly. Up Simon Mann, that's Ross Smith on the, <laughs> playing Beethoven's Concerto Number no. 5 as you walk Except, in. I'll... I'll in a sequin jacket and some extravagant sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got the blazer, yeah. And, and, and then to walk, after after I've knocked him out, as I'm walking out, you can play I'm Still Standing. Exactly. Yeah. You could come down, you could come down like, rather than being a ring or whatever he came down in last time, so you could just be on top of the piano as it's pushed towards the, as it's pushed towards the stage. Look at this. Look at this. It's coming together, isn't it, slowly? Yeah. Wow. There, there we go. I mean, it's not long until we launch the uh, the Music and Eggs podcast. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there is a niche out there that probably <laughs> needs filling. I'll change. I'll I'll change if you want. It's episode one. Three thirds egg. Three thirds duck. One third quail. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear let's get something more sensible Jesus. some sport right uh, we will um, talk about uh, the football at the weekend and there was also uh, FA Cup on last night we will talk about the Super Bowl on Sunday and we will talk about my release this week which has been uh, the cricket on Terrestrial Telly which has been a nice five hour watch and um, five days I'm glad it was a five day test um, this week, so we will talk about that. So we'll have a break, we'll come back, um, and we will talk about uh, the football. Welcome back to the Three Thirds Mike One Third Scouts podcast, and we will start with football. And um, this weekend, it was a very pivotal weekend. It felt in the in the Premier League title race. Ross, um, how did you see this weekend's results? Uh, yeah, obviously. Big weekend of fixtures. Liverpool playing City. Um, City looking very impressive, as we mentioned previously in recent weeks, and the the form there and the run they've managed to put together in the, the football they're playing. Um, obviously, as a United fan, you're hoping that if we've got any title aspirations, not that I'm saying I was hoping that we'd... Well, I am hoping we'd win the title, but not that I thought we would do this season. Then you're hoping for a Liverpool win just to... Uh, knock City back a bit and 
obviously you thought uh, you're hoping that City have struggled at Anfield and maybe although Liverpool have struggled recently they might find the best form playing, coming up against uh, a good team but I think with City comprehensively beating Liverpool and then United dropping points to Everton it kind of just hands the title to City I can't see I can't see anything else happening from now on Simon can you? No, you got. I mean, you got to make City big favourites from here, haven't you? Because, and also, you know, it's not just like a team has got a little bit in front. It's Manchester City, and they're playing so well, and they have, you know, Guardiola's teams have a track record. You know, last season maybe they weren't all there, but you know, in the past they, you know, they know how to win league titles, and they go on these big runs of form. Once they start playing well and just blitzing teams, it's hard to see past them in it, and. And, you know, as, as a sort of fan, I suppose, the, the one encouraging thing is, you know, they've got a lot of English players and, you know, Phil Foden, the emergence of him, he was so good against Liverpool at the weekend, that goal he scored. And, yeah, I mean, it's hard it's hard to say that there is going to be a real title race and, and which of the other teams are going to put a consistent run together to, to, to lead it. Well, I, I agree. Like, especially now, you think United are obviously closest to them. But... We're not, I mean, we're a lot better than we were, but our home form is just atrocious, isn't it? We can't, uh, obviously, United went 2 0 up at half time. We're 2 0 up at half time to Everton, and you think we were cruising as well. I thought, oh, there's no way. I, I was thinking we're home and hose now. We, we just see our way through this, and then how we've ended up drawing that 3 all. And like you say, it's a lot of the punt, the the pundits say, like, it, obviously, you see what City result in, then you're hoping for United response and see what happens. But you can just see that we're not quite there yet. Either the home the home form's not quite there, or we, we can't see games out. Or and I'm not saying we've suddenly gone really, really bad because I know last time we were on, we were talking about how great things were because we we've been on a bit of a run and then we've got beat our Sheffield United and we draw to Everton. Um, and I know, and then we beat Southampton nine 0 in that time. But it, we're just not. We're not able to put this uh, a consistent, like keep the pressure up enough that will force that you think might force City into some kind of mistakes or put enough pressure on them that they're actually worried about things. I think, I think City now is losing. We've beaten Liverpool at Anfield, which they have struggled with in the past. It's kind of a big, it's, it's a big thing for them, and you can only see them going from strength to strength now for the rest of the season. Like you said, time Phil Foden. He looks unbelievable, doesn't he? Yeah, he feels. I feel like there was a lot of criticism almost sent to Phil Foden's way when you know Sancho obviously had left City, gone to Dortmund, was playing every week. Suddenly looked like the most exciting young player in Europe in the England team. And I guess when we're going, oh look, a few years ago Foden was ahead of Sancho. He's made this mistake of staying at City and not going out and, and forcing a move to get first team football. But now, you know, he's really shown that sort of different things work for different people. And he's, you know, he's fully justified. Manchester City and Phil Foden fully justified in the way they've kind of managed his career up until this point. And, you know, he didn't need to go out on loan. He didn't need to do any of that stuff. What they've done, sort of keeping him within the group uh, and training with like some of the best players in the world has, has clearly worked. And he's, you know, young, hungry, very exciting prospects. And you just sort of, as an, as an England fan, obviously we've had a lot of young, exciting prospects in the last sort of 10, 15 years. And you just hope that he's not one 
Yeah, I think Jack, Jack Wilshire scored for Bournemouth the weekend, uh, randomly enough. He's only 29. What, you think he's a light charge for the Euros? No, no. <laughs> I, I'm just hoping that Phil Foden is someone who... Yeah, but I suppose my point is you get a lot of these... Jack, Jack Wilshire 10 years ago was, wow, this guy could be the best player in Europe. And it never happened for him. And hopefully for, for Foden, all the hype will... Will come through, but he's such an exciting player, isn't he? And just looks like a just looks like he makes the right decision every single time he's on the ball. I mean, I, I start, you mentioned his goal. I I can't. I still can't work it out how he got his shot off so quickly. Like he literally, it's all within one. Like it's crazy to watch how within one movement he get he knocks it past the player and then gets his shot off. Pretty much all within like two steps. It it, it yeah. And I mean, I think one of the, I think it was said in commentary, wasn't it, that one of the biggest things now that you see in Phil Foden's development, especially from Pep, is the fact that he's not the one being substituted after 60 minutes. He's the one being kept on because he's, he's been able to influence games for longer and longer as the, as the match goes on. So He played well last year. I can't, I can't remember if it was the game earlier on this season when, um, obviously, when it was, it was a bit of a drab one-all. Um, or whether it was this, it was the season before, I can't remember. I think he might have been. It, I think it was the get. Oh, that was it. It was when they beat us when we when we won the league and they won four nil um, last season. I think Foden played really well then, and I, I think it was. I always thought it was a bit strange that he'd started that game, but he just seemed to play really well. Um, uh, and then in the second half, I think they, they changed to a four four two city, didn't they? Almost, and um, I don't know if he was playing off the right or, but he just seemed to be. Whatever he seemed to do, just seemed to, to come off. And like you said, the goal was just—it was just like wow. It was just—it was just—it was just incredible. So, so, um, but yeah, a lot of. I mean, considering last year, I mean, we were we were quite—I wouldn't say negative about him last year, but we were quite. He's like he's—you he felt like last season is, is he gonna was was last season? He's almost transition season. Is he gonna play enough? And um, even towards the back, kind of the beginning of this season, he, he didn't really. He just, now that Silva's not there, he's just going to play all the time. But it never really worked out, and he's just kind of gradually built himself into the season. And like I said, he's, he's almost like well, he's, I, he's, yeah. I think one of the things the team I, I think one of the things last season was like the basically what Pep was saying about oh, he's the best kid he's ever seen, and this, that, and this, that, and you never actually saw him play. So you were kind of thinking, like, what was Pep going on about, and this. And then, even when when he did get sub, like it, I mean, I remember loads of times last season. He'd get ten minutes at the end of the game. He'd like get a goal or insist or something. You think, well, wonder what he could do with a full ninety minutes. But and I have been very critical of Pep and his handling of bringing kids through in the past. But if I'd, I'd be delighted if he manages to, not from a United point of view, from an England point of view, if he brings Phil Foden through and turns him into a world class player, which he looks like he could quite easily be, and he goes on and wins us the Euros or the World Cup or something so and yeah the, and the one the, the one thing about City at the minute as well is that nobody else is taking points off them whereas you think where everybody else that's in that top well you'd almost say in that, in that top six that everybody else is taking points off everybody else so um, I mean even Liverpool's results in the last few weeks we've beaten teams in and around, in and around where we were with in terms of Tottenham and West Ham but then we've had teams in the bottom six take points off us um, and the same, same with United as well. United, have, United have dropped points. Um, Leicester have dropped points, and, and even Everton have, have, have dropped points over the last few. So it's like everybody else is taking points from everybody else, but City just carry on continuing to win, and that's where they've, they've kind of risen to to where to where they are now. Have they got a game in London, United as well? Have, they, have you both played the same amount of games? 
No, City have got games in hand. So they, they are well ahead of anyone. I mean, what? Um, obviously, Simon, like I said, we got beat off Sheffield United at home and then we drew with Everton. Um, and then we put in the 9-0 against Southampton, which obviously Southampton ended up down to nine men and they lost the man, lost someone after the second minute. So that's kind of a bit of a number of the game. Um, do you think there's anything anything seriously wrong with United in them two games? Obviously dropping, getting one point from six where you probably would have expected to get four from six or maybe six from six. Do you think there's anything wrong or do you think it's just... I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't say there's anything sort of majorly wrong that's emerged in the last sort of couple of weeks. I think that, that result, those results are sort of endemic of the fact that maybe we're just not quite there. We're just lacking a little bit of quality in certain areas. You know, should we have conceded three goals against Everton? And yeah, we're still, our attack still seems slightly dependent on on Bruno, who, uh, you know, which is fine most of the time because he's been so consistently brilliant. But, you know, there's times when you think, you know, he is going to have a bad game every now and again. Or, you know, they played West Ham yesterday. He didn't start. United, you know, it was a really bad, that FA Cup game against West Ham was a real tough watch, I thought. Well, I and, was know, in bed and almost fell asleep a few times. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I really was getting through. I was just constantly refreshing Twitter. I was just sort of watching it basically <laughs> on my phone. Really. Hoping something new. <laughs> yeah. And the football was very much just in the background by the end, I think. And um, so, yeah, I think we're, we're sort of reliant on a few people. I mean, what do you think? Um, yeah, I agree. I think we are very reliant on Fernandez. I mean, what I would say, obviously... Uh, I think I think the Sheffield United game was just a just a real bad day at the office. Like a few things just didn't. We had a couple of decisions went against us. Their goal uh, when Billy Sharp just basically, in my eyes, just pushed De Gea out of the way uh, while he was going up for the catch, um, which meant De Gea missed it and then wasn't given as a foul. But then Harry Maguire jumping up with uh, Ramsdale even though he's going for the ball, was given as a foul and a goal disallowed. I think it was a couple of things. I think it was just a bad day. Them kind of games do happen every now and again, so I don't think that was. But then I, I thought what would be quite interesting would be, uh, obviously against Everton, um, I think it was Everton's first goal uh, that David De Gea just kind of almost pretty much dropped the ball in front of whoever scored it from the cross, like very tamely parried it out into the middle of the net. And I thought that's quite a big mistake, really, because you let ever you obviously they always say two nils a dangerous goal. I don't think whoever gets the next goal is quite key. And Everton got it. And I think that was kind of the impetus that they they needed to think they could get more goals. So I, I was thinking, obviously now we've got Dean Henderson. Obviously Dean Henderson's been brought back with the view of challenging Day for number one spot and see what happens. Um. I, I thought I always thought Henderson would start against West Ham last night, but then I thought it'd be interesting to see who starts in net at the weekend in the Premier League game, whether he sticks with De Gea after such a after a mistake really that led to a goal, or whether he goes for Henderson who collected clean sheet last night. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean it's a strange one because De Gea's I mean he's obviously not he's not the player he was a few years ago when he was sort of you know knocking on the door to be the best goalkeeper in the world. And he sort of dropped off that level. But he's sort of, and he does make the occasional mistake, but he doesn't, he's not consistently making enough mistakes, I think, to justify dropping him. Whereas at the same time, we are thinking, we have got this really exciting keeper in Henderson on the bench. Yeah. Desperate and, to play. 
And what is the point in having him if he's just going to turn into another Sergio Romero? Yeah. And, and so it's a, it's a strange one. It's a tough one for Ollie to sort of manage in a way. I don't quite know how. Because, I mean, I wouldn't say De has done enough to be, I think it'd be harsh to drop him. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I, I just thought he's made, it's a mistake that you could argue led to Everton gaining some momentum and yeah, yeah. affecting the so, game in a big way. In the past, when it was with Romero, like you, there would have been no, like no comeback from it from De Gea's point of view. But does there almost need to be that now? Because otherwise, what what is the point in having that? Like I don't know. I don't. I'm not saying that you need. Like I, I agree. I don't think it's. Well, he definitely has to be dropped. He's making howler after howler because I think his form this season has improved dramatically based on last season. But that I think that's based on the threat of Dean Henderson being in there for competition. So then if you don't follow through with the fact that you make a mistake and you put the competition in, do you not just slip back into the old habits of, well, I can be a bit lax on my form again? Well, there's not there's not well, really many teams that change. I mean, with the exception of Pickford and uh, Everton, who I think Ancelotti's in just in a system of completely rotating them two around now, isn't he? But other than that, there's not really many... There's not really oh. many teams that have two good enough keepers to be able to come in and, and, and kind of, I'd say, I mean, I'd say almost, I'd say United have probably got the two keepers that you could come in and probably give the, roughly the same performance every game. There's probably the least between them two than there is any other goalkeepers in, in the league, I probably would say. Well, it feels like it's always, it's always a sign things are going wrong when you start rotating your goalkeepers, doesn't it? It's a general rule. Oh, no, you know, I... Any other club go doing it? I mean, United are in a slightly bizarre situation where we've got sort of two really, really good goalkeepers. I just thought it. I just thought it was an interesting manager, like an interesting management point yeah. from Solskjaer this weekend as to what he actually does with it. Because I mean, if you go with De Gea, I would say he's got then got he's got to make no mistakes. But if he makes another mistake this weekend, then you think, yeah, he's definitely got to go with Henderson. Or does he just go with Henderson straight away and say? Right, I'm going to give Henderson one game, and then De Gea's back in again. It, 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 I just thought it's an interesting, um, interesting. You only have to, you have to give him a, a run of game. I'd probably get a run of games, wouldn't he? I mean, is I mean Henderson's probably going to play. It, it, the cop out probably is going to be that at the end of Feb it's Europa League again, isn't it? So Henderson will play in the Europa League game, surely. Yeah, and there'll so, be another FA Cup game at some point. Yeah, so he's going to end up he's going to end up playing anyway. So he's probably got that. He's probably got that in his back pocket to think that well. I probably don't need to make any changes just yet. But at the same time, you'd probably say that, that Henderson's probably not... I mean, I mean United are going to get... I would have I probably not don't have any issues in the Europa League. Probably not, Henderson's probably not going to have that much to do. So, I mean, I suppose it depends on what team he plays. But, I mean, what what is the... I mean, other than Sancho, which may or may not happen again this, this season, what is the... You keep saying, well, they're not quite there yet. Well, what do United need to be there? Oh, I, I mean, personally, I'd say centre half. I mean, I, I mean, I, I probably sounded a bit negative about United on this this show. I'm, I am generally quite positive about United. I think there's been a lot of progress this year. I think Aaron Wan-Bissaka looks a lot better going forward than he has done at any other time in his Manchester United career. Luke Shaw has been a sort of the re-emergence of Luke Shaw has been incredible. And, you know, at the start of the season, I don't think Luke Shaw was in many England squads. Now, I I fully expect him to be to be first choice left back. Um, whenever England next play, and, and you know, Matt Tomney has suddenly you know he's really pushed on. Uh, Fred's a lot better. I mean, maybe you'd want an upgrade on on the Fred Matic situation, 
Um, oh, I, as soon as Matic starts, I fear the worst. I, I, we need we need another. Yeah, I think that's one area that does need improvement. You probably want a resolution to the Pogba situation. I'm not sure how long that you know this kind of is he in big games. He just sort of playing on a wing or whatever. But surely he and, to, and, he'd have to sign and, a contract and, in the summer. Otherwise, he's out of contract at the end of next season. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think this summer free, are they? Yeah, so they'll either time down to a contract or they'll, they'll sell him. And um, but I mean, for me, a, a top quality centre half and probably a right a right winger, someone to play in that right wing position would be my. That'd be what I'd be looking for from United. Yeah, I agree on the right winger. I think uh, I was a bit disappointed that Ahmed Diallo didn't get on last night. Well, yeah, and it felt like he really. It just felt like what we were hoping for was. They'd be three 0 up at half time, yeah. but because it ended up being a sort of a oh an hour in, we're going to need to bring Cavani and Fernandez on. Yeah, because I think I mean more and more this season. There's been many like Greenwood's. Greenwood looked good there last season, but then he's kind of he's not at the heights of last season, which is understandable because he's still young, obviously. Then Rashford's been pushed out to the right a lot. Um, Dan James doesn't look well. I don't think. I think we got a bit excited with Dan James at the start of last season then he fell off quite quickly, didn't he? I don't think he's going to be around at United for many, many more years to come. Um, but that right side does look something that is worrying. And I just thought it'd be nice to see. I thought it would have been good to see him get on and, and just see what he's about, really, to see what he does offer up. Um, but it was nice to see him included in a matchday squad, at least, just to know that he, he is up and coming. So, yeah, I do think that's an area. Like you say, the Matic, I would like another central midfielder just to put so we don't have to rely on Matic and we start thinking about that. I also think we look 10 times better when Cavani plays down the middle. But Yeah, I, that's I, really offered us something else. Hasn't yeah, it? but how old's Cavani? So well, he's 33. So it's not, yeah. So it, I mean, I know we've, we've got Zlatan and we've got Ronaldo who were doing it like into the high 30s and looking, but. You can't be expecting everyone to do that. So you, you kind of think, well, Martial's, he started uh, through the middle last night against West Ham, didn't he? But he didn't look, he do, he's not a striker, he's not a through the middle striker, is he? So we kind of need a striker. And then, yeah, like I say, a centre half, maybe a right back, and then we might be, then we'd probably have enough squad depth that you would say we can cover most things and deal with most things and chop and change it to, to carry on. But yeah, it's. Although I'll tell you who the uh, the English if you look at you know, you wanted to sort of get someone from a Premier League side proven in the Premier League, the English attacking midfielder that looks most impressive though, of course, would be uh, Jesse Lingard. <laughs> well I saw so when he got his debut he scored scored a brace, I was like, No, he can't have gone and scored a brace. <laughs> and I thought I've got to watch this. So have you seen the goals? Oh, the keepers helped him out, aren't he? <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought like apparently, because it was against Villa, wasn't it? Yeah, that Emmy Martinez. Apparently, that Emmy Martinez made all the strikers stay out late uh, after training for the next week because he said, "No idea what I went on, but I shouldn't have been beat by them shots." <laughs> so it it didn't make me think that Jesse Lingard suddenly suddenly's world beater. I thought he's got very lucky with the two shots he's he's got in there. It's better to be lucky than good. Did he play last night? Lingard? No, no, no he was in the stands. 
Oh, he's only I on like, played... oh, he's, he's, I thought he, I thought they'd gone. He's only on loan, isn't he? Well, I think he actually played in the third round for us as well. Uh, one last part about United, Simon. Obviously, uh, the sign of the season, Donny van der Beek started. Um, I'll tell you what, I... yeah, go on. No, well, go on. Before you might be making the same point I was going to. Well, what I was going to say is, I feel there's been a real change in the um, in the kind of attitude of Manchester United fans towards. Do- I feel for the first few minutes, the attitude was very much, God, does Ole Gunnar Southshire know anything about football? Why on earth is he not playing Donny van der Beek more? You know, this guy, this kid's the most exciting player in the world. As if as if Ollie was looking at him in training and was and had Lionel Messi there and was refusing to play him. Whereas now, I feel like the attitude has suddenly turned to, God, he's not really, this Donny van der Beek's rubbish. Why on earth have we signed him? I feel like there's been a real sea change. Yeah, it feels like that. But I, I also think uh, I agreed with uh, what Jermaine Genius was saying last night about that the United players don't seem to be don't seem to look for him. No, and Genius also pointed out it is hard. If I, I, I sort of had sympathy with the sort of argument, it must be hard when he, you know he's just coming in every now and again. He plays a different position every time he plays. But I just thought, I just thought last night because I, I, I thought right, I'm going to. If he's on the screen, I'm going to try and watch him a bit, see what he does. And I thought his movement, and like he was offering himself up and wanting things. And I agreed with Genius in, in respect to the fact that he, he did a lot of things safe, like in terms of laying little five-yard passes off. But I think that's always been his game at Ajax. Whenever I've seen him, he's been someone in the box that's been had the ball played up to him and then he's played little one-twos with people. And I almost think that what Genius said as well, that he comes in as being compared to Fernandez when he isn't Fernandez. And he's never going to be Fernandez because they are two very different players. And I think one of the things is, if you watch Van der Beek, he always plays up against the back. He's always on the back four. Whereas you watch Fernandez, when Fernandez came on, Fernandez is like dropped five, ten yards off and he's in that pocket of space. And it's a bit easier to find Fernandez because he he's not looked like he's been marked something. So for a midfielder to play into him is a bit easier than Fernandez gets on the turn and finds a pass, whereas I just think it's a more difficult pass playing it into Van der Beek and he's kind of, I'm not saying he's hiding because I think he wants it into feet and he could quite easily play a quick pass and find someone but I think from a point of view from the midfield, just looking to find him we haven't got anyone confident enough to fizz that ball into him and then do it and then because he's not been doing it on the pitch, he's not getting looked for and it's kind of a negative spiral for him yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I broadly agree. I think, what I would say is when uh, some of the few times he has played for us, I think he's looked better when they played him in that slightly deeper position, sort of one of the two. Yeah. Uh, than he has done when he's played in that sort of number 10 role, which is sort of the role that he was, he's you know, kind of known for and made his name for as a, in that kind of attacking midfielder role. But I think he's looked better as one of the two where he's been able to kind of get on the ball a bit more and sort of dictate pace a bit. Just inject a little bit of urgency from midfield and a bit of forward movement and nice passing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think he's a young player. I think he's you know he's arrived in Manchester. And it's a weird time to have moved to England. A lot's going on. He's not really been playing much. I'm kind of sympathetic that maybe he's just struggling to to find his feet a little bit and probably just needs a bit of time. Oh, but I agree. Got... And I'm not writing him off. I'm not writing him off yet. I'm thinking, what a waste of money. I just think. We're probably a, a couple of players short of 
when he plays, playing the way that he likes to play. Because obviously the way Ajax plays, like foot, watching it from a football point of view is incredible, wasn't it? Like it's such an easy on the eye style of play and pass and move and this and that. Whereas we 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 weren't at their United weren't at their level for the last two years, and then he suddenly come to us, and we are in the rise and doing better. But I don't know. I think it's probably going to take him a bit of time to adjust to the way United play as opposed to the way Ajax play. Well, Ajax normally play, only play with normally one forward, don't they? And then the two either side and more midfielders. And whereas you think where you know, how United play, it's almost the other way around, where the two guys at the top are probably more strikers. You think of Rashford and Greenwood and, and Martial. And then he's like he's got more, it almost feels like he's got more people to to pass to. Is that, I mean, is that, is that even the right? He's not, it just feels a bit more like he's, he's playing with five midfielders rather than he's playing with well, three I midfielders. Think what, I think one of the big problems for Donny van der Beek is the fact that he doesn't, United don't have like so. Last night he played so it was Greenwood, Rashford, and Martial. And I can't remember them really. Like when we had it in and around the box, making a little running behind. Really, they don't. They they, they always wanted to feet or to do something, and then to try and take someone off, or then to try and hit it from twenty yards out. They never. They're not. Uh, they're never really intricate or like. But I remember when City first. On, when they had Zavaleta playing and so whoever else in the white, like they'd, like they'd make like, before a pass would come off, you'd see five or six runs going, like little runs going to the box. And then you said, but United don't really do that. And I think that would that would suit Donny van der Beek if there was loads of little runners, but we, we're not having that at the minute. So I think he's trying really hard to create things. And it's just, I think people, I think United have just got too set up at the minute to go, Fernandez is here and he'll sort us out. So we, we need to kind of get the reliance off someone. But yeah, I feel I feel a bit sorry for him. But hopefully, if we make some signs in the in the summer, maybe get another midfielder in, then it might might change things. The Pogba thing gets cleared up, so maybe he gets more of a prominent role because Pogba's either definitely staying or he's definitely going, and then we'll see. Yeah. It feels like the conversation you're having about Van der Beek, you could have had about you, this is the same conversation you've had about Pogba over the last hour. Yeah, but I'm not like, yeah. Well, Pogba, I mean, the difference with Pogba is Pogba's been a prick at times, hasn't he? <laughs> whereas Van der Beek hasn't. So. Yeah, I mean, Van der Beek always looks like he's trying his hardest. I think Pogba sort of struggles a little bit because he has a slight. He has a language. language. Style. Yeah. And then, which doesn't help him. And, he, and also, you know, Van der Beek arrived at forty million pounds, which in modern football is a young prospect. And Pogba arrived for a hundred million pounds from Juventus. You know, you expect at that price point, you expect someone to come in and be the best player in the league. And won the World Cup. And I ju- yeah, and I just won the World Cup. Yeah, it been a crucial part in France winning the World Cup. So you see, you, you expect more as a, as a starting point, much in the same way. You know, as a young player, you think Van der Beek maybe take a year to, to get used to the Premier League. Whereas if you've signed, <laughs> say, uh, a, a, a midfielder who's, who's been at Barcelona, been at, just won the Champions League with Bayern Munich, <laughs> if, he, if he arrives cheesy, he'd he yeah. best hit the ground running. Yeah. Well, he did hit the ground running and somebody snapped his leg in half, remember? So he had to, uh, he had to take three months off. <laughs> it is strange, though. I mean, the, the, the turn on Tiago, I mean, and we mentioned it last time we are on, but it's become even greater now, hasn't it? The fact that 
I don't. He just seems to be blamed for a lot of Liverpool's problems. And look, I do think he slows things well, down. I do think, but then you're always going to find it. You're always going to find a scapegoat in the form that we're we're playing in. I think that's. I think that's. I think that's inevitable. I think it's very similar to very similar to Van der Beek. I don't think he's found his role within the team yet. He isn't. He, I, I'd probably say he's played with a. He's played. He doesn't. He normally plays in a double six. I think Klopp's mentioned that before. He hasn't been able to really do that this this year. The way that we've played, um, the best game he played was kind of when he played as a almost as a ten. When, I think the Spurs game um, and the West Ham game where he played further forward and he he was almost a link between midfield and attack. And then I don't really know where he played on Sunday when they've tried him as a six. It's just not worked. Um, you, quick question before. So I was thinking about this. Do you think the fact that um, Thiago's come in has influenced Klopp to play Henderson and Fabinho as a back, as a centre-back pairing, as opposed to if Thiago wasn't there and he didn't feel like he had to accommodate him, do you think he would have still gone, he maybe would have changed his mind and gone, you know what, I'm just going to go in my first choice midfield and they're going to see us through the games and we'll, mm, we'll be no. with Phillips and... No, I don't think so. I think he, I think he wants Henderson and Fabinho in that team. I think he thought that. I never really, like I said, I didn't, I didn't watch any, I didn't watch any of the build-up to the game on Sunday. But I never, for once, thought that Catback and Davis would end up playing. Um, he never really, I mean, he never really chops and changes his centre backs around during games anyway. Um, even when, the, even when they are, even when they are fit. Um, I think Catback had only arrived in the country the day after the transfer window, and then they, we played on the Wednesday. So we would have had two recovery days. Um, this week is the week that we've got a week between games, and that was I fully expect Kabak to play on Sunday or Saturday whenever we play. Um, but no, I don't. I don't think he's accommodating Thiago. I just like I said before, we didn't have any centre halves, and we've got for once we've got more centre mid central midfielders than probably what we've ever had before. We have a lot of players that play in the same position. Um, like I said, I think it was Milner had been injured and come back. I'd say Chamberlain had been injured and come back. Thiago had been injured and come back. Um, and you've even got Kaita to add to that mix who's still not ready yet to come back and can play in one of those three midfield positions and you've got Curtis Jones so we had seven or eight central midfielders um, and no centre ass and he was, they were always going to be the two that dropped in they started the season with Fabinho as being the fourth as the backup centre back anyway because obviously when we'd signed when we got rid of Lovren we never replaced him so they thought they could get by with just having Fabinho as a as a fourth choice centre half, where in seasons gone by, and for as long as I've been a Liverpool fan, I don't think we've ever had a situation where that we've ever had to call on a fourth choice centre back, unless it's a game that doesn't really mean anything. Whereas this time we're having to play a fourth choice centre back and, um, well, and the fifth choice centre back to a degree um, in in the biggest game of our in, well, what felt like the biggest game of the season on, on Sunday. So. It's just I don't. Th- I just think it's going to take time for Thiago to adjust. He plays a different system. Like I said, he came in and didn't play for what was it two and a half months. He didn't come till October either. It wasn't like he was signed in the summer and he got all the time with the rest of the squad. We didn't sign him until quite late on in the window. Um, so I don't really know what. Um, I don't really know what next season holds. Um, it's probably going to be a bit better than this one. But until he's playing with Fabinho and Henderson and. And he's probably playing a bit further forward, and it will it will probably help him. But um, I don't know. It's a bit, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a strange one.
Welcome back to the Three Thirds Mike One Third Scouts podcast. So we'll leave the football there and we will move on to um, the biggest game in world sport, which was on Sunday night. So it was the NFL uh, between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa Bay for the first time ever. Uh, a team was playing a home Super Bowl. Um, did you stay up to watch it, Ross? I did stay up to watch it. And you, meant, you mentioned last time it might be the first time that someone has home field advantage. Yes. Holy. You guys still there? Mine. Um, yeah, I'm still there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Bam. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. It's like a fist. It's like the, 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 the book stadium. Did you hear that bit? No, I didn't hear any of that. I said, okay. And so I said, yeah, I did stay up for it. And you mentioned last time about home field advantage and the Buccaneers may have it, and they did have it, but their stadium is atrocious, isn't it, compared to some of the ones in the NFL? I mean, oh, yeah. The fact that they've got a pirate ship in there makes me think of, like, Gulliver's World as opposed to the NFL, to be honest. Um, but, no, I, I stayed up for it. I'm, the main reason I stayed up for it was obviously because it was Mahomes versus uh, Breda, so it's the, the kid versus the goat, as they were billing it. Um, and then what it basically proved is that uh, Tom Brady is incredibly good at what he does and Patrick Mahomes isn't quite there yet. I think in a nutshell. I thought, I thought it was a bit of a strange... Um, I, was just, I, I thought it was just one of them games that will just probably never happen again. I thought Kansas City Chiefs just completely folded in that, fir- in that first half. Um, they they they'd never been. Um, I just thought they were just completely rattled. It was just strange. They gave away a lot of penalties. They conceded a lot of plays. They turned the ball over a lot. Um, they couldn't get to. I thought Tampa Bay did very well in completely blocking off the the, the two main um, um, catches for the, uh, the the Tampa Bay Bucks in Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And they just couldn't get up the field. And um, Mahomes had, had pulled a couple of. I think the the most. Um, I think he not. I think in his first seven throws, he he'd only completed one, um, and the most yards they got was from him physically running the ball down the field, which obviously, which is never really a, a tactic to use in the NFL. So um, they didn't score a touchdown. I don't think in the whole game. Um, it's the first time. Distra- the first time Mahomes been limited single figures in his NFL career. First time he's been beaten by double double figure points in his in his career. So yeah, he got he got he got it handed to him a little bit. But what I would say is though, um, Brady like Brady's first two drives didn't end very well. They were quite successful, and the the Chiefs' defense performed really well. But I think the difference was either I think Brady's got quite a lot of influence over what play he he, he can call his own plays. Brady seemed to work out what needed to happen to get past the defence that was being yeah, applied to him. Whereas a- Mahomes, there seems to be this, and look, Mahomes pulled off some incredible throws that probably should have been caught and maybe would have changed the game. But there seems to be this, we'll just stick, we'll stick, we'll stick, we'll stick with it instead of adapting to the, the game situation. And that's why I think Brady ultimately won. Well, they tried to. um, I think the one thing that Mahomes can do is he can kind of get out of any situation, and he's always had time. So 
the the Kansas City Chiefs offense is 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 amazing and how they can but they they were missing some of their um, offensive tackle which was the people that could are the ones that protect Mahomes um, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were just running straight through and um, these four or five guys that were supposed to be protecting Mahomes so he didn't have and um, say if he had three seconds to get rid of the ball and normally he'd probably have like two and a half and that half a second was what made the difference he was making he. He threw some. Um, he threw balls a bit too early. Threw balls a bit too late. Um, he got sacked quite a few times. Had to throw the ball away. Um, there was a point in the second quarter where I think it was just before they scored at halftime to make it six twenty. I think it was six twenty one. And um, Brady was going crazy. I think they called a play. Brady went absolutely crazy um, at the sideline and, and was like, "That person needs to go off. This is what we're going to do." And that was just like it was almost like he knew he knew exactly what needed to happen. Um, and they managed to run the play that he wanted to run, and um, I think with a second or two left, they'd, they'd score the, the third touchdown of the half. So, and that kind of set the second the, the, the second and a half up. But it was, um, I think, the stat that I found the, the most. Did you, did you was you watch it on Sky or BBC? BBC. So I watched it on BBC as well. I thought I, 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 thought, I couldn't remember what it was on, so I started watching the one on Sky. That Tom Brady's never scored a first quarter touchdown before. Did you see that? Yeah, no, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah, so right. I thought that was a bit, I thought it was a bit strange, but yeah, he just they just controlled the game, and it was very similar to how they played um, against the Saints, where they just managed to they, they just managed to unlock the Saints' offense. They just managed to shut that down. Um, the the Saints uh, are very very much similar to the Chiefs. Just gave up um, foul after foul after foul and conceded yards uh, all over the pitch and could never get going and. and and they made they took advantage of it, and they were they were the the, the team that kind of um, kind of rolled with it. And I think they won. They were the last team to have their break, and I don't think they've lost the game since. No, the, they were seven and zero before going into the Super Bowl, and obviously eight and zero. Yeah. But I, what I would say is the third. I, I like. I did think going into halftime when it was twenty odd some night or twenty odd whatever to. Um, the Buccaneers, I did think. And the way the game was going, I kind of thought, oh, it's probably going to be Tom Brady that was what uh, going to win. But then I, th- I like the reason I stayed up, one, because I I could, because I thought I could have a fairly easier day the next day. But I thought, you just never know with Mahomes. You never know. He, he could quite easily turn this around and pull off some unbelievable throws. And in the third quarter, some of his... Some of his throws that didn't actually make it, but should have been caught by his receivers. Like he's being tackled to the ground, and he still manages to throw it 40, 50 yards, and it it hits his receiver on the head. Like uh, it, uh, so it is, it was unbelievable to watch, and it all like it almost like I was in bed watching it, and I was sitting up in bed and like bouncing, like thinking, "Oh my god, if that would have come off." How Claire didn't wake up, I've never known. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, the, the way the game ended, finished was inevitable after watching it and seeing it all play out. But Mahomes does provide that moments of magic that you do think, yeah, there's a reason why this kid's special. Um, I was going to make another point then, and I completely forgot what it was. Um... Anyway, we're talking about special. I'll make, I'll make a good segue. We're talking about special. Jimmy Anderson produced one special over that will go down for the ages, Simon. Yes, uh, very, very impressive. Impressive from Anderson, impressive from you to segue so smoothly. Um, yeah, really 
big win for England away in India. You know, we don't win in India very often. Uh, all the tour before I was, you know, India obviously had that incredible victory in Australia over Christmas, um, including sort of a couple of particularly impressive test matches. They've got this batting order that's got so many brilliant players, including Kohli. And, and, uh, are India uh, number one in the world in the test rankings? Uh, possibly. It's either them or New Zealand. New Zealand. I think it's just because India haven't played. Yeah. I think it's because of that, really. New Zealand have played a lot of their games, haven't they? But India's home record is uh, is very impressive. And, you know, they've got this, this team full of superb players, including, you know, the bowlers and Ravi Ashwin and Bumrah. But, yeah, superb from England. Joe Root got 200. I think uh, he got all those runs in Sri Lanka as well. And I think he, he was playing his 100th test match. I think he was the first player to score 200 on his, during his 100th test match. And there is some crazy stat that sort of about 5% of Joe Root's test match runs have been scored in the last month or something. He's, uh, he's in an incredible purple patch of form. And England ended up winning that test match against India by about 200 runs, I think. So... His innings kind of was the difference between the two sides in the end. Did you think that um, England had batted for too long on day four? Yeah, I mean it was a weird one. So sort of, when I was watching it, they they kind of they came out in that in what is sort of the third innings of the match and started off quite aggressively, and then seems to kind of just sort of stop playing aggressively. We weren't really scoring any runs. We weren't really saving any wickets, and the match just seemed to be sort of plodding along for a bit. I mean, if you win, then it doesn't matter. And uh, if, they, if they'd lost, people would have looked back on that uh, as, a, as a big error. But it all uh, all worked out in the end. And, you know, brilliant bowling performance. Jimmy Anderson sort of seems to be getting better with age in a way. You know, he's bowling you know, in, in the subcontinent in a way he, he was never capable of doing earlier on in his career. He seems to have worked out a way that works for him. And, Leach and Best, the spinners, had played well, took some wickets. So, yeah, it was all very exciting. Incredible form from Root to, what's that, three, well, nearly three double centuries in three innings. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? It's, uh, it's amazing to watch. And so, <laughs> Cheesy, what is your what was your approach to the Test match then? What time were you waking up at? Um, so I got up about. I didn't really know what time it started. So I think every and I think every time I got up, I was like, oh, I don't. I didn't know whether we were in like the in, after lunch or, or after tea. <laughs> uh, but I probably got up about half seven. I mean, half seven was probably the uh, Esme had come and wake me up about like seven half seven and get up and watch it. And it didn't finish till probably about half eleven. Did it? So I had a good four hours, obviously minus the uh, tea break and stuff like that. So I think after I'm trying to think where I managed to get up to most days. So I'd. Seen, I'd seen Roots double hundred, um, but then I did. I, I like I caught the back end of day four, and I was like, oh, "This is a bit. This is, this is a little bit not quite what I what I saw." And I, I was, I was, I went to doctor and I thought he'll play himself in, and that's it. They'll just even if he it's even if he it's fifty, and 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 that's it. England call it a call it a day, um, but it just seems it just seemed to work out. I thought best of it bowled really well in the uh, in the in the first innings. Thought Dom Sibley as well did really well, and that, that was after, after day one when Sibley batted for uh, pretty much mo- all that all day just to get eighty-seven or whatever it was that he got. Um, it was a bit unfortunate for him to get out. Would have been nice for him and Stokes to get centuries in the first innings, but yeah, to get five hundred and 
Did you watch? Um, were, you, were you watching any of Rashad Pants in the first inning? Yeah, I was like, it was a bit, it was a bit T Twenty ish, wasn't it? I was <laughs> like, this is like, that's what I'd expected some of the England England players to do in, in the second innings, and it just kind of never really materialised. But yeah, it was a, it was a great game. Can I just ask? So well, England obviously won won by two hundred runs, which is a fraction. Obviously, was unexpected, but yeah, India. Is there anything that you would think needs working on the England team? I'm thinking maybe Lawrence obviously had a decent first innings in Sri Lanka, but then has not scored quite highly since, has he? So is there anyone that you would think maybe needs change or anything that needs improving? Yeah, I mean, it felt to me that Best bowled really well in the first innings and Leach bowled really well in the second innings. And they're probably going to need to put it together and both bowl really well at the same time at, at, at some point. Anderson probably won't be able to play all four test matches. Joe Reed's probably not going to score double centuries all the time. Yeah, so other players will need to step up. I think Dan Lawrence is in a bit of a tough spot all of a sudden. And, you know, he made that brilliant first... You know, his first innings in test match cricket against Sri Lanka, like you said, he made that big score. He's not really done much since. and So I think that... The pressure might start to build on him if he doesn't get any runs soon, but we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, this is because it, uh, to me, although it sounds convincing, that, that obviously the 200 plus runs, but when you start to analyse it, and like you said, Simon, about the it was basically down to Joe Root's innings, then you start to wonder well, it wasn't as convincing as you actually think. Like Joe Root's one innings that puts it 200, and then J- Jimmy Anderson's like special over that kind of turns the tide in the last. Uh, the last step, like you, you could start. I'm not saying it would have swung the other way, but the game maybe is a lot closer than you actually imagine, like than the scoreline suggests, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and you know, cricket is one of those sort of sport, it's sort of a team sport played by individuals, and you can't always rely on the same individuals. You're going to need other players to uh, to step up at, at some point. Is there any, is there anyone, is there anyone in the touring squad that could that would take Lawrence's place? Well, so this is the thing. So, Josh Butler is actually going home now. He's, he was only playing the first test match. So, Ben Folks will come in as the other wicketkeeper. Um, Zach Crawley would have batted at three. And uh, Ollie Pope wasn't expected to play this test match. But he slipped. And, um, and then he's, he's now out injured. And part of the issue is because they're all in these bubbles and you have to quarantine for two weeks when you turn up, so it's not like you can't just sort of fly somebody in to replace that role. So their other options are, there's a guy there called James Bracey who's yet to play any test matches. And he's like a wicketkeeper batsman. And the other option, I suppose, would be Moeen Ali, um, who, who is there so, sort of as the backup spinner, hasn't played test cream for quite a long time. But, would, but did score 100 last time they were in India. Would you think you need to put any pressure on, this, on Bess and Leach? As well, I can bring him out, Ali. Or do you think it would be a good thing to bring him in to relieve the pressure from Bess and Leach? Well, it's one of those things. I think from the outside, you sort of think of Moeen Ali as as being better than Bess and Leach. But I suppose they're seeing him in in nets, and you know they had they've had two tests. Well, I mean, he actually had COVID, so he missed those Sri Lanka ones. But they very much seem to be viewing him as as the third choice. And so he, he mustn't be doing enough uh, in practice. I, I wouldn't. I didn't. I didn't think Leach or Best 
were incredible in Sri Lanka. And again, they've you know, in, and in this test match, they they both played very well in one innings. So you know, you, you have to you have to think that Moeen Ali must be not looking that great in the in the, in training. Yeah, I mean, the big thing is, well, the thing is where's the next Graham Swan? That's what we're all asking, isn't it? That's it. Well. What we really need, I think, to sort of balance the side would be cheesy <laughs> as a kind of. Well, it's the way for. I mean, because I mean, one of the things I was going to say is that um, um, India's all round us. So Ravi Ashwin is a is a spin bowler, isn't he? Whereas obviously yeah. we've got Stokes the bat and bowl, but he's obviously he's, he's a, a fast paced bowler. Whereas Ashwin is almost is almost uh, is uh, Ashwin's the third spinner. Because um, I thought, well, surely we'd go with. With what with an extra spinner, but then obviously we'd have to we'd have to rely on on Stokes being the the second um, frontline uh, pace. So bowler, when so I, uh, I when know. I watched, I had not watched any India test, but when I watched uh, pretty much a day of the Sri Lanka test, I can't remember he said it, but someone said the Yorkers are very underrated bowling test cricket. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, I thought, you don't need to tell me. You don't need to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought when it wasn't working for Jack Leakes in that first innings, I thought, surely he could pull out some pace here. Surely he gets, gets a little cord for his glasses and, and <laughs> puts a bit of a run up in. I was like, surely he must be able to. Yeah. But no, obviously not. Yeah. No, it'd be, so the next test starts on Saturday, doesn't it? Yeah. Is that not quite a quick turnaround, test cricket wise? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess it is. But, but, well, because they're playing on the same ground, so they don't have to travel across the country. Or I think part of the the COVID world is you try and sort of squeeze them in, so no one has to be. In yeah. Do you um? Hotels. Do you reckon? Time. Obviously, no crowds has helped the result for England in India because obviously India is a cricket bad country, isn't it? And Chennai, what's that? We must all thousands and thousands. Do you think that helps in any way? Well, yeah, yeah, probably, and I think it probably sort of. When Richard Pants knocked you out of the park for in the first innings, like he did to Jack Leach, if there was a crowd there in the second innings when you come on to bowl, you'd be thinking, you know, they'd be they'd be all on him, wouldn't they? Whereas it's maybe a bit easier to sort of settle in, just put it all behind you, just go again in the second innings in a in a slightly different way. Tell you what, no crowd I felt did is it really exposed that stadium that looked a bit tatty. <laughs> Yeah, it did. Yeah, <laughs> those stands look like they needed people in them, not not to be exposed I mean, to me. If if those seats, if are, if are only the India Cricket Board are listening and have heard about your DIY skills, <laughs> cheesy, then you could be flown over. And... <laughs> I, I mean, I want, I mean, what I'm more concerned about that sea level rises than me to them. That that, that stadium's <laughs> underwater. That's what I was. I was I'm like, sure. I was like, it's practically. Pra- I'm sure the you beach. could Google. I'm oh, sure yeah. you could Google how to build flood defences and sort it out. <laughs> what what to say? What looks like a monstrous train station connected to the ground and a, and a cricket ground as well? I'm sure the uh, I'm sure the, I'm sure my phone will be off the hook after this podcast goes well, out. I mean, the one positive is, I mean, you might have COVID when you go out, but there are no kids, so you'd be able to crack on with the job. Yeah, well, I was going to say. Well, I mean, I mean, they, I mean, they're talking about the the uh, they keep trying to keep themselves busy in lockdown. Surely there's some DIY they could be doing in that stadium while uh, while they're having it. On a break or having oh, a break. Anyway, is there anything else? 
Well, I, I think we're ready for the uh, the penis to play as well. Oh, I haven't got it ready. I haven't got it set up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't go promising things. I can't deliver. <laughs> next week, next week, I'll, I'll be prepared. Oh, I cannot wait. Yeah. I mean, I wonder which children's nursery rhyme I will choose to play out next week. That'll be the question. <laughs> <laughs> Guess the intro. <laughs> oh, it's going to really add to the uh, the end of year quiz. Oh, isn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, especially by the end of the year, we might be COVID. We might have all been vaccinated, and we have to meet up. A live a live audience. I might crumble. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like to think we'll uh, we'll go for some food somewhere, and we'll go somewhere nicer. And you'll when we walk in, you'll say you'll go over to the pianist in the corner, and you'll say, "No, mate. Oh, you know, it's twenty you know quid." What? Here's 20 quid. You, you go there's, home. You don't need to do anything. There's, there's a chippy in Bolton. I can't remember what it's called, but it's got like a big... Re- it's called the Olymp- It might be called the Olympus, actually. And honestly, you walk in there, and it's it, they've got a grand piano and a man in a tuxedo <laughs> sat there. <laughs> and it, it, it tingles on the ivories while, while you are your super-sized haddock and chips with <laughs> curry sauce. <laughs> Have you been googling? No, no, because I've been with. Uh, oh, it's a it's a fan's favourite of the uh, of the old generation, the Olympus in in uh, Bolton. So when I've been and we took like Claire's granddad out, that's one of the places to go. So when we, well, I've never been there before, unless with Claire. And we, honestly, it's it's incredible seeing this this older man tinkle the ivories on a on a Friday dinner time on the on the grand the. The, the Presswitch pub tour where you with a keyboard under your arm is, uh, yeah. is good. <laughs> First Friday night out. I can't Sing wait. when you know it. Black sheep. Turn that ice hockey down. We're playing, we're playing keyboard. Can we have, uh, can we have yeah, three lagers and an extension? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's battery operated, mine. <laughs> as long as I've got eight double A's, I'll be fine. I can, I can play. Have you got anything? Have you got anything to make all this shit? You've got with? <laughs> That'll be you, Cheezer. Oh yeah. <laughs> right, it's been a good one. Always a pleasure. Until yeah. next week. See, See you all soon. soon. Next week. See you Bye. later. Thanks for listening to the Three Thirds Mank, One Third Scouse podcast. Give it a like, give it a share, and let us know what you think on Twitter at Mank3. That's at M-A-N-C-T-H-R-E-E. And keep listening for more new podcasts every week.